Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. In this podcast, we take you behind the scenes of the election campaign, which is now in full swing, to bring you some insight into what goes through the mind of someone thinking about becoming an election candidate, somebody who wants to be a member of parliament, ideally in government or perhaps as a member of the opposition. What conversations do they need to have before becoming an election candidate? We spoke to Neil Gosta, who is actively involved with the GSLP Liberal campaign. He will not be standing himself as a candidate, but he is the Liberal Party's election campaign manager. Isabel Richmond has been away from frontline politics for 12 years now. No surprise that she will not be standing, but she did share with us her experiences. And we also spoke to Elliot Phillips, who has just announced that he will not be standing with the GSD at this election, though he will be supporting the party. Well, it's, it was an incredibly difficult decision. It's something that I've been thinking about for a, a number of months now. I had spoken to my family. I had reflected on my contribution thus far to our community and what I've done to, to, to help uh, in that process. But also, after a long, I felt like a long 16 years, a long active eight years in opposition... There comes a time, I think, in anyone's life that you stand back and you reflect and you think, well, there are moments in one's life that we've missed. One moment, cherished moments with our family we've missed. I've been there with my family physically, obviously, but I haven't been there emotionally to support them or mentally been there because my mind has been elsewhere. Of course, fighting an election like we've all been doing and have done in the past. And I must say, when I look at my son and I think he's 14 now, um, the next four years will be tough in opposition. It will be tough, even tougher in government, arguably. And I will miss those important four years with him. And when I took that decision, I was confident in the view that it was the right decision to make, but also right um, for other people that have massively supported me in the last eight years. You know, members of community generally have had my back, my, my, my colleagues at work in my other job who had my back, my colleagues in Parliament when it's been so difficult to combine the two uh, professions. Um, and all of those people now need my support in another way. And I hope I can do that. And, and, it, and it feels very much a way of me paying that back as well and spending more time uh, with my family. I hear you say this, uh, Mr Phillips, and, 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 I, fe- and I remember uh, having a similar conversation with Mr Costa when, when you decided to step back from the frontline politics. Well, Jonathan, first of all, please call me Neil. And hearing Elliot, actually, I was thinking exactly the same thing, that it was a very hard decision for me and... It was not really until the very last minute that I finally decided that it was the right decision for me not to stand again. It was very tough because, on the one hand, you want to spend more time with your family and you miss, as Elliot said before, you miss some key moments because you're busy uh, serving the people of Gibraltar. Uh, And on the other hand, of course, you also do not want to disappoint your colleagues. So I found it very tough. I really felt I was letting down Fabian and and Joseph and 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 Sir Joe and all of my cabinet colleagues. And I also felt that I was letting down the people of Gibraltar um, whom I had the great privilege of serving. So it was really, really tough decision. But ultimately, I decided after a lot of reflecting, like Elliot, that my family needed 
needed me. My daughter was eight, I think, at the time, and she was soon to start a, mid, a middle school, um, rather to comprehensive school and so on. And I just felt that it was time for a switch from public life to private practice and more time with my family. But a lot of what Elliot has said in fact, also has went through my mind when I was reflecting on whether not to stand again. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in Isabel Richmond. Yep. Um, so as, as somebody who's been through it also, uh, h- how does that decision eventually get made? Uh, and what are the conversations that uh, somebody who wants yep. to become an election candidate has to have with family members and also professional colleagues? Yeah, And in fact, ju- just before I go into it, I want to say how... I'm glad they've talked about how tough um, and how brave it is to make the decision to actually stand down from politics and equally how tough and how brave it is to put your name forward to to join the political game and to stand as a candidate. So it is, um, well, it was a tough decision and a brave decision, but um, it's something that... You do because you really believe in it and you want to do it because the the support you get is going to be mixed. I had mixed support. Some family members um, were all for it. Others weren't. Colleagues as well. Um, There was an element of you'd already been working in the community for so long in the NGO sector. I've been working in GBC as well already had a relationship with the community um, and I did a lot of work for breast cancer support. So they were saying, well, but maybe you can still continue to make a difference by being outside of the political um, hemisphere. Um, but I, I believed in it at the time. I thought I could make a difference. I had a strong sense of social responsibility. So I went for what felt I felt was right for me. And my children were also at an age where um, they were more independent. My eldest was 14. He was actually quite excited about the whole thing. Um, he was actually a good friend of David Neto, Jaime Neto's friend, um, son. So um, they, they went through a journey together. And, but my youngest one wasn't so happy, my 11-year-old. And he was saying, Mummy, why are you going into politics? You know, and all you guys talk about is politics. But... He still managed to get through it, and um, and it was a decision ultimately that I made. It was my choice. So, so people who are going through that now have to um, make sure that their family is on side and Absolutely. and that their employer is on side because most people will will have the reality of now what having to stop working if they want to become an election candidate to be able to deliver on the election campaign. At the at the expense of of what not getting paid potentially by their employer. Well, I think that uh, I think that the most important conversations that you need to have are with your family. Um, I, at the time that I I first stood for election, I think I was twenty six. So my 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 meaningful other was my mother, and she was very upset that I was going to leave uh, private legal practice and go into politics. Not just because of my age, but because as Elliot and I have spoken uh, in the past. Politics can be very abusive. And I've said this before, not abusive in the sense of 
post-traumatic stress disorder, but abusive and says it can be very tough. It's a glad- gladiatorial arena. You say awful things to each other. Um, most of us, uh, not not um, Isabel, but most of us are barristers who were yeah. trained in the art of putting a point in a particular way, sometimes pugilistically. It has that, uh, you know, cut and thrust. And you've got to develop a very thick skin. But unfortunately, whereas we around this table may have or may have developed necessarily a thick skin because it's the nature of the game, sometimes your family members do suffer the pain that they know you're going through because you've been insulted, you've been accused of things that they know to be untrue, and your mother and your family, your wife and you know, and, and your children, they're going to feel the sting of their mother or their husband being caught Call something that they know to be utterly false. So it's it, it's important that your family is on side because they will suffer the slings and arrows of the political, uh, you know, cut and thrust and back and forth. Uh, so whoever wants to stand for politics, and it's a privilege, anyone who says that it's a sacrifice should not enter politics, being a representative of a community is first and foremost a huge privilege and, you know, it's a really, it really is, but it's also true that you've got to know that part of that is going to be having to, at times, defend yourself from comments which you know to be utterly false, and sometimes having to have unpleasant conversations with your family, who are, you know, far more wounded than you are for what they've heard. So it is a collective, um, it is a collective game, and you do need your family and your friends to support you when things get tough. And is that more aggressive side of politics um, where nasty things that, uh, as you've said, uh, quite likely untrue nasty things are said uh, uh, on the election uh, campaign, is that an inevitable consequence of politics or can we do better? Well, look, I think we can do better. I think that, you know, we've all talked about in this room about the impact that politics can have on particular individual and we develop thick skin uh, uh, around it. You know, Neil put it quite well and that we all develop that. But I do think that part of the community probably doesn't understand the matrix of a particular of politicians, actually, you know, a day to day life of a politician is very, very simple, as particularly if they have it in, in opposition. I'll give you my example, for instance. Since I, you know, I'd start my day by walking downtown. It's usually about a 10-minute walk from my home. It usually takes me an hour. I also am screening messages from the evening on, on issues of uh, health, uh, people complaining about housing or health. I'm redirecting those to the particular MP that might have responsibility, or I take it on myself. Um, I, I'm stopping down Main Street. I have clinics in the morning. I try to go to my office to do a bit of legal work during the day. I then have afternoon clinics where I'm speaking to clinics. And I'm, and I'm obviously neglecting other people in that process and all other people that would like to speak to me. Um, and these are very long days. And there are criticisms of you, criticisms of your conduct, criticisms of the way in which you do your business, where you do your politics. And it's a daily onslaught. But I tell you what, I, won't, I wouldn't change it for anything. Because it makes you the person you are. And, I, you know, it's part of my identity, a politician. Today was a, a really sad day for me, but it was also fairly liberating, as you probably would have gathered. But it was sad because it's part of my life. It's part of my identity. And I've given up something about that today. And I, I hope, as I've said, I hope if I'm given the privilege again to serve in the future that I, I will hopefully have the opportunity to do that. But it's an interesting one. I think that maybe the public sometimes need to take a step back and actually look at what we're producing, what we're doing, um, and constructively engage with our politicians. And in the main, 
I must say, people that stop me up and down Main Street, you know, they don't want to disturb you. They don't want to say, well, look, I'm going to disturb you during your day off. Actually, it's not my day off. I'm here for you. That's my job. I'll help. I'll try to help if I can. All um, MPs work for the public of Gibraltar. Absolutely. These are, the public are our boss. Uh, and today, uh, Fabian, well, yesterday, Fabian issued a writ to dissolve Parliament and our jobs were lost. And of course, that's that's the inevitability of the process. And we all understand that. Um, so, but so in brief, how, how does it work from a financial perspective? <clears throat> you've, you've got a, an alternative uh, profession, so you're making an income as well as or have been uh, as sure. well as your MP's in- yeah. income. You're also uh, you, you've got your salary as a lawyer. Yeah. Um, what about for MP's who um, are not professionals and and drawing a salary outside of parliament does it become a very difficult few weeks for them well, or, or course, have uh, they been planning because it was inevitable uh, and, and uh, can i ask you to keep it short yeah please? i'll keep it very very short of course there are a number of mps within parliament that have a another job that they're doing uh, as well as being a politician there are others that don't so they rely on that income that is derived from parliament and on the day that the parliament is dissolved that income stream stops uh, and therefore i think what most people do and you know from from what i gather is that there is an eye on when the election will be called. We all roughly know, more or less, it's within a certain uh, uh, period of time and, uh, and arrangements are made. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. We took a, a quick break. We were discussing aggression and how sometimes, on social media in particular, mm-hmm. uh, some of the things that are said can be a little bit nasty and a little bit aggressive. And uh, Isabel Richmond, you, you wanted to, to comment <clears throat> on that. Yes, and ju- just... To, to let the candidates know that there is a difference between the vitriol, aggression, if you like, during an election campaign, very different to when you're an MP. I mean, an election campaign, I think, you know, you thick skin, you, you, you support your manifesto, you argue your points. It does get vitriolic. I mean, I remember being up against Neil <laughs> back in 2012. We were on radio with Moira Walsh from the I PDP. Remember, I remember. And I remember actually one making you feel a little bit uncomfortable at one point. I thought that was hilarious. But then we kissed and made up afterwards, which which is great, which is another side of things, a positive side of things. But I think as well, once you're an MP, you have different pressures and, and both Elliot and Neil were talking about that. But it also depends whether you're in government, on the government benches, or whether you're in opposition as well. And then even when you're in opposition... I was a full-time opposition member, so my stressors, if you like, um, were different to yours, where you were running a practice as well as being um, an MP. So just sort of bear that in mind, and, and there's, there's always room for balance, to bring balance in your life, and, um, and really just sort of enjoy the ride. Do, do you think they know, would-be candidates know what they're getting into? Are they sort of, do they have, uh, you know, really frank discussions with people who've been through it before and 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 you know that they they go into it in full knowledge of of what they're doing yeah Yeah, i i i I would say so it's impossible if you are thinking about standing as a candidate then you would have had those conversations with your colleagues uh in the party with members of parliament so you know what you're getting into but i think that those of us who have stood 
for election. The reason why we get into it is because we really want to serve. We also have the vanity of thinking that we are going to make a difference. I think there's, there's a part of that. But you really want to better your community. You think that your ideas are better than your opponents. You think that you can implement your ideas better. But ultimately, whatever your ideas may be and however you implement them, we all want to do what is best for the community. And I think that Gibraltar is one of the luckiest places in the world because each successive government of whatever political stripe wishes and wants desperately to outdo the former government. So if one government does so many schools, then the other government is going to try to do more. If one government has done so many affordable homes, then the other government wants to do more. And I think that Gibraltar is very lucky in that respect. We all seek to build upon what the former government has done. But just to answer your question, yes, there is no doubt in my mind that if you're thinking about standing, you would have had all of those conversations exhaustively before you stand. But I think those people who are having those conversations have already, in their own mind, decided that they want to do it and they're just hopefully seeking reassurance and confirmation that it's the right thing for them to do. And my advice is that they should do it. They should go for it. So we've heard that the GSLP Liberals, basically anyone who is a member... Uh, can put their names forward, as I understand it, and uh, then the executive, uh, certainly of the GSLP, will decide on on their slate, their preferred slate, and then they'll put it to the membership for ratification. Is that the same with the Liberal candidates? It's an extremely similar process, yes. Okay. Uh, can we ask you, Elliot Phillips, how it works with the GSD? Again, again a very similar process. We have candidates uh, amongst the entire membership are able to put their potential candidates are able to put their names forward for for selection um, this Saturday at six pm. I think it is. I hope I got that right. Otherwise, Keith will give me a telling off <laughs> at six pm to put their names forwards. And so there may be people that are not on the executive, that are the ordinary members that may wish to stand for election. They have until six pm on Saturday, and then on Monday the executive will select. Um, our candidates for the next election. Um, you know, I understand, you know, I'm not going to get political. You know, Neil's an old friend. We're not going to get political. But he will... The ratification process, of course, I've often seen the GSLP's ratification as almost a rubber stamping exercise of this. Um, and, and, and therefore, it's... I, on balance, I think the processes are very, very similar across the polit- political spectrum. So, and the GSD's isn't a rubber stamping? In terms of the ratification by the members, no, we select it from within the executive, and on a on a on a on a uh, on a, uh, a, a ballot that is effectively uh, 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 private to, to those particular members. Are, are, are the potential candidates are still interviewed. I mean, I I went yes. That's that is I that is a process that happens, I had. Um, Terry Cartwright gave me an absolute grilling in my interview. <laughs> Long time ago. Well, I, I remember yeah. being uh, being against yeah. Neil in debates before as well, and I remember yeah. just, we, now we we speak about Terry Cartwright. Yes, you know, yes. and she, I remember she grabbed me from the corners when I was in the PDP, and she said to me, "I think you'll do better off in the GSD, <laughs> young yes, man." Yeah. And the rest is history. Such a political animal, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I just want I just wanted to say that you know I'm not representing the GSLP. I'm I'm an executive member of the Liberal Party, but just to disagree on one political point, I wouldn't describe the process of the membership ratifying the selection as rubber stamping. I mean, they they do have the possibility um, at that meeting, as I understand it, to object. Mm. So, I mean, I think that the process Uh, reflects... Overall or... or Candidate by candidate. Well, as I say, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I do not know the process, in, you know, intricately. But all that I would say is that it does require the ratification of the.
the membership. And I think that is an important part of the democratic process, internal mm. party democratic process. And uh, we don't know yet whether the Liberal Party will have three candidates as part of the alliance? Well, I... I That's not confirmed yet, no? That is not confirmed yet. I... I have not been made privy of any discussions discussing whether there ought to be or there would be a different um, numbers or a different ratio. As far as I understand it, the numbers will remain um, the same as, as they are now. Okay, uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, potentially aggressive messages uh, on the election uh, campaign, uh, sometimes coming from activists rather than actual candidates themselves because, you know, people can get caught up in the election fervor and say things that potentially are untrue or at least are nasty and maybe, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, spinning uh, uh, an aspect of truth and, and making it sound worse than it is. What would your advice be in short to people people who are considering becoming candidates we've heard you know you need to have a thick skin but how can you deal with negativity on social media in a positive way uh, just very, I'll, i'll give you a very short answer my my, my one of my uh, best uh, teachers in politics was Yvette Delawa I will never forget the very first press release I issued and I was eviscerated by Yvette in response. I remember walking up Main Street feeling entirely dejected by the response. I thought it was withering and necessarily aggressive, but she really taught me the lesson in growing a growing a thick skin. Um and you know I again that was an unnecessarily aggressive response and and it should not be that way politics should not be that so aggressive uh, but i think that the point is that when you're in politics you should expect from time to time you should expect from time to time to have to defend yourself but that's just a small part of it there is so much more that is so much more positive and if the sacrifice that you make in being in the front line of politics is that from time to time you've got to defend yourself from an untruth well it's a small price to pay in my opinion Yeah, and it is, I think, it's a vociferous minority as well. Yeah. If you look at the bigger picture, you've got a majority of support, at least within your circles, within your party, from a lot of people within the community. And it comes with a job. You you take it on the chin. And I think it's important to be authentic, actually, and believe in what you're doing. And I've seen this not just in politics, but just in sort of in community work. And and the latest was obviously in in the referendum that we had a, a couple of years ago. So you've you've just got to believe in what you're doing, and and keep going. And um, and obviously with a legal eye, I suppose on <laughs> on some things. I remember having to write two legal letters to two individuals in my time when I was in politics, but. Um, you you're you're doing the job for a reason, and this is part of it. You just I, sort of... I think that the main the main message I would have to anyone now considering this job uh, for the part of their future of their lives, in that that is to understand your brief, understand your community, understand the argument, understand the policies, and look. Sometimes you will be attacked. Sometimes you will be said, "Well, the GSD did this twenty five years ago." Well, my answer to that question has always been, "Well, look." 
I was in nappies or something like that. Probably not. Probably in sh- short shorts at that stage. And look, I wasn't around. Uh, and therefore, that perhaps might be the GSD's position in 25. But I'm here. I'm now arguing this. This is the best, the best interest of our community. And that's, that's what I'm standing on. So, you know, criticise me as much as you want. But this is what I'm standing for and I stand by it. And sometimes, actually, accept criticism yeah. and say, that's, I think you're right, but we're moving into a, a future which is brighter and we need to deal with it. So yeah. I think to, acceptance is really, really important important in politics as well. Can I ask you as well about the electorate, you know, the, the, the good people of Gibraltar who are going to choose the next government and the next opposition for Gibraltar. What have you learned about our community and in particular about the, uh, the voting uh, members of our community during your time uh, on frontline, in frontline politics? You want something funny? <laughs> Funny's great. If I had a pound for every single person said they would vote for me, I'd be a very, very rich man, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, I'll let Isabel, I interrupted her, sorry. I think you have to listen, but really listen, to learn to listen and accept that it's okay sometimes not to have all the answers and that it's okay that you can't solve all the problems, but so long as you're you're listening, you're actively listening and you're taking note and you're passing that message on and, and discussing it with your colleagues, discussing it with the members on the bench, uh, benches opposite. Um, that's what I, I found with, with the Gibraltar community, not just in political work, but just in any community work about how to engage with the Gibraltar party and show that you're authentic because we're a small place. Everybody knows each other. We're all human beings. So... Who are you as a human being? How are you going to relate and engage with the electorate? So not, and not just emotional, as a politician, but no, also... No, but at an emotional and human level. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the vast majority of the people of Gibraltar are entirely reasonable people. And I always give this example. If the bus service is free, why will a passenger pay for it? So if a government service is free, why would you expect a a person from Gibraltar to pay? So I think that most Gibraltarians are entirely reasonable people. There will always be a small number of people that do not like you for whatever reason. Um, But listening is a huge part of the job. You've got to absolutely accept when you're wrong. I I, I lost count on the number of times that I said in Parliament... I don't know the answer to that. Let me come back to you. Or, yes, that was a mistake on my part. I apologise. And people do know when you're not being honest. They may not know how you're deceiving them, but they know they're being deceived, which is why I think uh, that the Gibraltarian public... Of course, this may be a political point, but which is why I think that they've made the right choice over the past few elections. I think the Gibraltarian public can have a real assessment of where Gibraltar is at any particular point in time. They look at the team of people in in, in the two cases or three cases and think, right, for this for this time, for now, this is the team of uh, Gibraltarians who I think are best placed to lead us. So as long as you listen, as long as you're honest, as long as you humbly accept when you're wrong, and for as long as you listen to criticism, everything else you can put aside, you can put the best interests of Gibraltar first. There's, well, there's actually just one thing, Jonathan, about this, and I, I agree with enti- everything everyone said in relation to this. I've always said to people that come to see me in my office, you know, I will first and foremost listen. If I can't, if if I can help, I will. If I can't, I will say. Uh, and 
at the, at the very least, I will listen to the issues on the table. The difficulty we've had over the many recent is the expectation sometimes when people come to see you. Yeah. And, you know, some people come to see me and say, well, I, I need this, I want that, I need this. And, you know, and I've tried to help people, even with household budgets, say, well, look, you need me to ask the government or ask a particular minister for something. Now, I cannot legitimately or genuinely do that with what you, the information that you're telling me. Mm-hmm. And the response might be, well, I'm not going to vote for you. You're not going to help me. I said, well, actually, the next time I go to a minister and ask for help, it will be for that reason. It will be genuine and they will accept that. If I went, if, if I went to a minister and asked the question uh, 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 and they found that to be disingenuous, then they'll lose respect for their colleagues on the opposite side of the bench. Yeah. So I think there's an element of that as well. That yeah. So, so that brings me perfectly to my final question. Uh, and I'll ask you to be brief if, if you could, each of you, and we can start with, with yeah. you if you like, Isabel. Um, you've given your advice to would-be candidates. Can you have... What would you say to somebody who is uh, thinking about uh, voting in this general election but perhaps hasn't made their mind up yet? What what factors do they need to consider? Oof, that's a difficult one. Um, I suppose it's where we are at at the moment as a community, where we have been, where we're at, and where you'd like to see Gibraltar in the future and whichever party or candidates um, best suit that. In your own mind, that's that's the one to, to go for, or even individuals. But um, it's it's reflecting what has gone before, really thinking about the present and how would you like to see that change in the future and really and read all those manifestos and, and watch all the debates and then um, make up your mind. All right, Neil Costa? Well, I think that if you're thinking about standing for election, the first thing that you need to be sure of is that you want to do the job. Because as, as we've all said, it's not a job that's full-time, it's all of the time. And if you're going to feel inconvenienced by a call at night or having to work on the weekends, then don't do it. Because, you know, the, the, the work that you're required to do to serve your community is incessant, it's non-stop. So first of all, be absolutely certain that this is something that you really are fired up to do. Um, and secondly, if you do not think... Uh, that that's the case. If you do not think that it is anything other than a privilege to serve your community, then my advice would be then that could be a very big hint that the job is not for you because it really is, um, you know, a job that's all the time. Hello, well, look, I, I've had many people, um, particularly in the recent, in the last six months, who have said to me, gosh, I couldn't do what you do. And I said, actually, it's not because I'm a public speaker. It's not because I'm a lawyer. Well, Actually, hard, hard. maybe, maybe you know, and Neil spoke to that before about the skill set that he and I share and others, uh, others before us have shared. But the reality is, if you have a vision about where you want Gibraltar to be taken and how you want Gibraltar to be governed, if you're passionate about your community and the interests of it, go for it. Don't be afraid. But what about from, from the point of view of the electorate? I think he was asking about... Yeah. What would you, well, how would you advise the electorate? Well, well people uh, who are considering... haven't made their minds up yet, in, in yeah. short. Yeah, well, look, I, I'll, be, I'll be very brief on that. I believe that this election is about how you want Gibraltar to be governed in the future. You know, we've had the experience of this particular government and the way it governs. Uh, and look, I don't want to get political about it, but there are many defects in the way our community has been governed. And you need to ask yourself the question, who is best placed to do that? Do I need an individual that is extremely charismatic, might kiss an old baby now and then, might hug one of our grandmothers up on our main street? Or do I need a serious 
calm, collected individual uh, who can do the job, who has the experience, has the strength, has the vision to, to, to look at proper governance in our community and reviewing what we do. All right. Well, thank, thank you. I just, We're I out of mis- time, very oh, quickly. I just, I just misunderstood your question. Um, if your question is, who would you advise to vote for? No, but... But, but come on, come on, yeah, finish. So, yeah. Then obviously for me, the, the, the easy answer is that you've got to vote in the team who's going to be able to complete the safe and beneficial treaty for Gibraltar. And that's, there's only one team for that right now. That's the GSLP Liberal par- uh, Parties. All right, well, I've, I've uh, enjoyed talking to <laughs> you, you all. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2 getting behind the headlines and you can catch up here whenever you like until next time have a good one at the GBC podcasts local voices on demand
In the coming days, GBC will tell you more uh, about the special programming that you can expect from us.